Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Now, last, last time um, we did an installment. This is the second installment. First installment was a holy community. That was on May the 15th. Here we are, June the 19th. I'm going to give you a, another sermon on the church. The church as we see it going on in the book of Acts. And the question that we ask ourselves, we asked this question. We said, is God more favorable? Is God a city dweller or is God a country dweller? What kind of God do we have? Does he prefer the city or does he prefer the country? And we read Revelation 21 and we read Revelation 22 and we saw that God is a, sorry folks, he's a city dweller. (laughs) God favors the city. We see that in heaven, There's going to be a city, and this city is going to come down from heaven to earth. It's going to be a city named the New Jerusalem. And in this city, God dwells there, sitting on the throne with His Son, the Lamb. And underneath the throne comes out, from underneath the throne comes this river with a crystal clear water. And on either side of the river, which is interesting, on either side of the river is the tree of life and 12 different kinds of fruit. It bears 12 different kinds of fruit every month. So as you think about, we we are told that if we um, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what kind of life do we have? Abundant? Abundant. And so there's abundant fruit. There's abundant life in heaven. So God is there. The Lamb is there. The people of God are there. God is with His people. It's the city to which Abraham was making his pilgrimage as he looked for a city and builder whose maker was God, and we as His children are also on this pilgrimage. Now, last time we compared the city with the country. Remember what we said about the country? Remember what we said about the wilderness? In the wilderness, there's no water. In the wilderness, is, there's no, there's no uh, bread. In the wilderness, there's no fellowship. In the wilderness, there's loneliness. In the wilderness, there's uh, no encouragement from other folks. In the wilderness, we're tempted You look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. He's in the wilderness when he's tempted. And so we compared that. We are most vulnerable, if you will, using that metaphor. We're most vulnerable when we're alone. But in the city with God and with his people, there's fellowship. There's a holy community. And we have the foretaste of better things to come. In Acts 2 verse 42, we see there's four things there. The apostles' doctrine. There's the fellowship, there's the breaking of the bread, and there are the prayers. Yet at the same time, as we said last time, we acknowledged that as much as there is this fellowship and it's a holy community, when you take a whole bunch of sinners 
saved by the grace of God, and you place them in close proximity to one another, there's bound to be friction. Is that a good way to put it? Friction? <laughs> Problems? <laughs> and why is that? Well, because see, you are, he, you are in front of me, and I think you need to change, Michael. I think there's things you need to change, and before I'm going to be able to fellowship with you the way I want to fellowship with you, you've got to do some changing. And then you look at me and you go the same, you say the same thing. But the real problem is not just we tend to focus on what other people need to do, but the problem is this. The real problem is you need to change and I need to change. We both of us need to change. Um, there was a cartoon character. Do y'all know that car- cartoon character named Pogo? He said this. He said, I saw the enemy and the enemy is me. The Times sent out an inquiry years ago when G.K. Chesterton was still alive. And the inquiry was this in the newspaper to all these famous authors. What is wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton wrote back, Dear Sir, I am. What is wrong with the world today? Dear Sir, G.K. Chesterton says, I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Well, what's wrong with the church today? Dear congregation, I am. Can you say it? Dear congregation, I am. What is wrong with the church today? We all need to change and be made more like Jesus Christ. Now, because there's going to be this friction, when we get close together, many people have just simply abandoned the community, the assembly, altogether to go it alone. And this is where the monastery came along. We have monasteries, they come along, and we have nunneries, and these folks are going to go, and they're going to be not even in the world, they're going to be out of the world, they're going to be in a place, enclosed in one spot. And if we're not careful, we can become monastics without having a building. We don't have to have a building to be a monastic person. We can be like a pot plant. I've been noticing my wife, she's got pot plants, and they're all outside, and they're in their own separate little spot. And they're all watered, and they all get their own fertilized, and they all get their own sun, and they're all out there, and they're not connected to each other. They're all separated. And we can do that too. Um, you know, we all know we need to grow in Christ's likeness, but God is telling us, even in this passage, that these folks grew in their Christ's likeness by growing together. Maturity is going to take place when we assemble together and when we commune with one another and when we are together um, speaking to one another and we could go through all those one another commands and when I was 22 to 25 years old I could tell you what my life was like I found myself reading the Bible three hours every day I would get cleaned up I would rush off to my master's degree classes I would take classes all afternoon I'd get done with those classes and I'd either go lift weights or I'd go ride my bike 30 to 50 miles depending on what day it was and then I would go back and I would read the Bible and be with friends again and that was my life that was what I did and I I slow and I think I was growing I, I would say I was growing some but it did bother me that every time I bumped into people and when I bumped into them, I found out just how ungodly I was. And it bothered me. I found out how impatient I was and how harsh I was and how sometimes I was too soft with these people and too hard on those people. And I found myself asking for forgiveness a lot. And then at the age of 29, I had this little experience. 
And uh, it's, it's so, you know, we have these experiences in our lives. I hope you have places where little stakes in your life, you know. Well, this is one of them. <laughs> so I'm finished with seminary. And, uh, you know, I'm done with school and I'm excited. I got myself a new rod and reel. I got myself some new baits. And I've been going out at night fishing after I'm mowing grass all day. And I'd go fish for a couple hours, get back, clean up, and go about my business. And so I'm going to go on a fishing trip to Caddo Lake, which is Texas, Louisiana border. It's five hours away from seminary. So I got myself my rod, my reels, my whole stuff. And I got a friend who wants to go along with me, and my wife knows who this is. And this friend, he bought all brand new rods, all brand new reels, all brand new tackle boxes, all brand new baits, everything. But let me say one thing. He did not know how to use a bait casting reel. Do you know how to use a bait casting reel? you got to learn how to use a bait casting reel. Well, he didn't know how, but he wanted to go, and so we left. It was about 5.30 we left, and we're on our way to Caddo Lake. In my mind, I'm going <clears throat> to fish like a pro. I'm going to fish like Larry Nixon and Kevin Van Dam and all these guys. I'm going down there to fish. I'm going to have this great time. I wake up the next day after our five-hour trip. I'm totally exhausted from that trip, but I wake up, and I'm ready to go fish like a pro. And the next thing I know, my friend that I told you didn't know how to use his bait casting reel, he's snagged in the tree. He's snagged on the stump. He's snagged in the grass. He's hung up in this way. He's hung up in this way. His, he, I cut and retie. I cut and retie. The whole time he's going, you're the greatest. You are, you are, you're fantastic. I've never seen anybody. I've never seen anybody. How did you learn how to unsnag this? And how did you learn how to undo this? And how did you learn how to tie that knot so fast? And he doesn't know on the inside I'm seething with anger. You're messing up my fishing trip, man. I can't believe how good you are at all of this. You know, you learned, you know, you're the greatest. And on the inside, I'm just smoking. He didn't see it. He did not see it. I did not show it. I took care of all his rat's nest and all the rest of it. And I learned that day, you know, I'm learned not 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 just the impatient part of me. But I learned that when you introduce a person into your boat, into your life, it's not just impatience that we're God's working on. He wants to show us that when you put a person in your boat, they become your focus. They become part of you taking care of them, their feelings, taking care of their rat's nest, taking care of their stick up, their problems with their baits, and you get you try to save their ten dollar lure that's four feet deep. You put them first. You take care of them. It's like uh, the apostle Paul tells us in Philippians two that we put the interest of others ahead of our own. And so I learned that lesson that day. I mean, you know, it's great. There's nothing wrong with going fishing by yourself. You know, there's really not. But when you put a person in the boat with you, you got to take care of them. You got to love them. You got to take care and tend to that situation. And so when you see that word there in 242, in Acts 242, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Out of that devotion to a doctrine comes the fellowship that we're seeing, that we're talking about. So we look at the holy community and how it's going to work out. It only works out when we take care of each other. So we look at the fellowship of the Spirit this afternoon. And as we look at the fellowship of the Spirit, we see these summaries and acts 
There's Acts 2, 42 through 47, Acts 4, 32 through 35, and Acts 5, 12 through 16. Now, I don't have time to read all these to you, but fellowship shows up six times in those passages. Three times we see apostles' doctrine. Six times fellowship, three times the apostles' doctrine. Now, this does not mean the apostles' doctrine is not less important than fellowship, but it does teach us that the apostles' doctrine, even though it's first, is not all that there is. Okay, you with me? It's not all that there is. Remember that fellowship grows out of this doctrine. But we understand that preaching and Bible studies, it's not all there is. Okay? Now, many people have reduced the worship of God to the sermon. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, I've got to go to church. I've got to go to church. got to get the sermon. i got to get the sermon. got to get, uh, I, I'm fed. That's what I've heard. I'm fed, I've been fed. You know, okay? They've reduced the worship of God to just the sermon. They forget about the salutation. They forget about the assurance of pardon. They forget about all these pieces and parts that all make up worship. All they think about is a sermon. Some people have reduced worship down to singing. They come and they sing, and they say, that's enough. I don't really even need the sermon. And then some people have gotten to the point where they uh, have reduced worship down to a quiet time. Or they read a sermon on Sunday morning or listen to a sermon on their phone. And that's how they see worship. But let's be, let's be very clear. It's, the Bible tells us that we must assemble ourselves together. It's the Lord's day. It's the Lord's whole day. It's His day. And when we come, we worship the Lord, and we're devote, to devote ourselves to the doctrine, and fellowship will grow out of it. And no matter how good the singing is, no matter how good the doctrinal preaching is, if the church, if you and I as a church don't love each other, if we're not sticky with each other, it doesn't matter how great the teaching might be, the visitors are going to notice the testimony of the church is going to suffer if we don't love the brothers, love the visitors, love the people. We never want to hear, oh yes, I really love the sermon. Oh yes, I really love the Bible study. Oh yes, I really, really enjoyed what that guy said or this girl said as we studied. But they didn't reach out to me. They didn't talk to me. I felt alone. All of the study should result in devotion to one another. All of our study should, re should result in meeting one another's needs. So as we look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, we do not see the phrase, the fellowship of the Spirit. Paul says that phrase. Paul uses that in 2 Corinthians 13, 13 and Philippians 2, 7. But what Luke does, he doesn't use that phrase. He just shows you what it looks like. <laughs> he says, here's people... And they devote themselves. There's a whole group of people. It's not just you and Ezra. There's a, there's a verse in Ezra 7.10 where Ezra devotes himself to the Word. Well, he's by himself. This is you and me and everybody else. We're devoting ourselves to the doctrine. And we come and we fellowship. And this is what he is saying. He's showing us what it looks like. And so we might say that some of this fellowship looks like what we just did over here when we ate. And some of this fellowship is going to look like what we're going to do when we get done because we're going to put on our happy faces and we're going to start folding the curtains and putting up stuff 
Uh, this is the fellowship of the Spirit. And in, God, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke wrote to a man named Theophilus, and he told the- Theophilus what Jesus began to do and what Jesus began to teach, and then he takes up his pen again in Acts, and he tells us what Jesus continued to do and what Jesus continued to teach through the, the, the apostles. That's why we call it sometimes, what's, what does, doesn't yours say, uh, let me see here, I'm just going to read it straight out. The Acts of the Apostles. That's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Now let me take you through something and we'll conclude. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter, he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 22, he says this, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in in your midst, just as you also know. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. So on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God is being poured out and Peter is preaching and attesting to these folks that God did miracles through this man, Jesus Christ. He preaches that Jesus was put to death by them. They thought they were doing right. They they were thinking they were putting to death an unrighteous person. They thought themselves to be righteous. And on the other hand, as he preaches, they find out they were the guilty ones and Jesus was not because God has vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. Paul, I mean, Peter tells them to call on the name of the Lord. Remember, men, brethren, what shall we do? And he tells them to repent and to call on the name of the Lord and they will be delivered or saved. And so they're, they're brought back into harmony with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so there's this harmony that's starting to happen as the gospel goes forth in Acts chapter 2. All these Jews, if you go read Acts chapter 2, there's all these different stripes of Jews coming back together under one name, under one gospel, Jesus Christ. Now, some people call this fellowship that we're talking about the great reversal of the great dispersion. Has anybody ever heard this? The great reversal of the great dispersion. Okay. So in Genesis 11, there was a great dispersion. In Genesis 11, there was a great scattering of all the peoples. And now in Acts chapter 2, we have this great reversal of that great dispersion. Let's think about this for a minute. Look at Genesis 11, verses 1 through 4. I'll just read this. So you don't miss, I, I can read it for you, and you can just listen if you want to. But in Genesis 11, everybody knows that this is the chapter on the Tower of Babel. And in verses 1 through 4, we read, Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Is there anything wrong with that? (laughs) Is there anything wrong with what I just read? Is there anything wrong with moving east 
Is there anything wrong with moving in the first place? Is there anything wrong with settling in the land of Shinar? Is there anything wrong with having one language? No, not at all. But there is something wrong with this statement where he says, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. What's wrong with that? Well, if you remember in Genesis 1.28, what did God tell Adam and Eve to do? He said, be fruitful and multiply. He said, fill the earth with little image bearers of God. Every one of us is an image bearer of God. He wants the earth full of your, you, heads, faces, hands, feet. He wants image bearers exercising dominion over all of it, the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature. Even after the flood, the same command comes to Noah, be fruitful and multiply. And now we have the whole human race deciding that they will move to one plane, settle in one place, and stay there all together. This is wrong. They are not going to exercise dominion. No, and it gets worse. Verse 4, I'm going to read it again. Come, they said, let us build for ourselves a what? A city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. So they will make a city for themselves. It will not be the city of God. It will be the city of man. They will build for themselves a tower. It will be a tower that rises up into the heavens. It will not be a tower for God, but it will be a tower that celebrates man's ingenuity. So this city and this tower, it will be made of stones, not made of stones, but it will be made of bricks made by men's hands. Now there's something being said there. This city and this tower is made by bricks made by men's hands and not stones that men would bring out and offer sacrifices on the same way Abraham was. These men are making something for themselves. These men, finally, why are they doing this? Because they do this to make, he says here, a name for themselves. So man is at the center of this city, and God is forgotten. God is forgotten. Man is going to seek a name for himself. He's going to build a city. Have you, you know, you know when you get, um, when you walk around, when you go to these colleges and you go to different places, there's people's names over all these buildings. <laughs> they want to make sure when they die that they left their name somewhere. And this is what they're doing. They would have an unholy community. They would live in an unholy unity, man separated from God. Now think about Adam and Eve and then compare that to Genesis 11. In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they send two people against God. In Genesis 11, you have the whole human race sinning against God. They will not go out and be fruitful and multiply. And so God takes notice of this. Look at verse 5. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. The Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language, and this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Now when you read the words that God came down, you, you do know that God already knew everything that was going on, right? <laughs> because God's Spirit is in every place. You can't get away from God. There's no place we can hide from Him. But when we read these words that God came down, it's teaching us that God doesn't do any kind of a judgment apart from total knowledge of everything. And so he's taking knowledge. He's, he's simply telling us he takes note of this 
unholy community. And so he says there in verse 7, Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language. This is the judgment, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. He comes down. He comes down in Genesis 11, and he disperses all the sinners in all different parts of the world. He eliminates the one thing that held them together, their language. And because of this, we have the great scattering. In the children's Bible, have any of you read Sally Lloyd-Jones' children's Bible? I think I read it to, Sela uh, read it for years, and I read it to all the kids at least three times. And she has this portrayal of this in her children's Bible. And I can't remember, I, I, I couldn't find it, but I'll give you some of the ideas. <laughs> so let's just say this happens, okay? And here's what she says, something like this. One guy says, hand me a brick. And the person hears him say, I think you stink. And one guy says, hand me some mortar. And another guy says, he says back, you're sick. And another guy thinks that you say something to him and you're calling him a name. And so there's all these things and all this gibberish and stop, start talking to me in the right language. And people are going back, you know, they don't understand each other. And so there's this frustration and anger and the men stop the work and they leave the tower. So man's great desire for a city and a tower and a name, it all stops. It comes to an end. But in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God comes down in grace. The Spirit of God comes down through the preaching of the Word. And as they preached, the apostles preached the doctrine, the people came together and they began to be together and they began to fellowship together. And so what we see, Jesus tells us what's going to happen even before it does. He tells us in Acts chapter 2 before he ascends up into the heavens. Let me just read it to you. He says there in 1, 8, says in, um, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed for His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So the gospel is going out going out to all Judea, all the Jews in Jerusalem, all these stripes are coming together, all the Jews. And then it goes out and Philip goes out to where? He goes out to the Samaritans and brings them into the kingdom. And then you got Peter going out and he's preaching to Cornelius and you got Paul going out and he's preaching to all the Gentiles and all the people who've been scattered are coming back together to form a holy community. Everybody's getting ready to go, ready for that holy city, the new Jerusalem. And as we move towards those days, we are all endeavoring to live in harmony. Like I said, when you put a person in your boat, that person has to take, uh, you have to put their interest ahead of yours. When you put several persons in this boat, like right now, here's our boat. We have to take care of each other. And as we do this, we're preparing for that city that descends from heaven to earth when Jesus comes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for...
your word. We praise you and thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the doctrine that we hear. And we pray, Father, that we would major not only on what we read and study and what we memorize and what we quote and what we talk about, but that we would put it in practice, that we would put the interest of others ahead of ourselves. We will always have some time to fish by ourselves. But, Father, when we fish with others, when we sit with others, help us to listen, help us to be sticky, help us to be those who care, help us to be those who uh, give all we, we have at those moments to that other person. And we'll praise you for teaching us to live together in fellowship. We pray all of this now as we leave in Jesus' name. Amen.